Good morning, Harmony. Good morning. How are we doing? Whew. All right, I got a few announcements for you guys before we jump in. First off, bad news for you guys, I got new insoles in the boots, and I feel like I'm walking on clouds, so I could be up here for a while, which, remember, I'm always up here for a while, so when I say I'm up here for a while, my goodness, uh, so I hope you're comfortable. Um, second, next week is Fifth Sunday. Uh, fifth Sunday, of course, for us, uh, that is when we have family worship. So we'll be doing things a little bit different. So typically we have Spanish service at 9.30, we have English service at 11, and we have Children's Church at 11. Next week, everybody will be together at 11 o'clock. We'll have the Spanish congregation here, English congregation here, and the kiddos in here with us. All right, so we'll have that. Afterwards, we'll have our potluck meal, and uh, we'll go over a few business items that we want everybody to be aware of. All right, so that's next week. Keep that in mind. Second, in the hallway, we have the information center, and in there is a sign-up sheet for Fall Fest. So we're going to be doing our Fall Fest um, October 27th, 8th? 28th. 28th. October 28th, that's a Saturday. Uh, we need people to sign up to help work booths. Again, the whole goal with that is for us to provide a safe, family-fun environment for the kids to come out, get some candy, introduce themselves to the church, have some fun. And so uh, we really want to make that a successful event. So we'd ask you guys to sign up uh, and volunteer for those things. All right, those are the two big ones I had. Let's go ahead and jump in. If you haven't been here, we've been in the midst of a series called Called to Excellence. And our whole focus in this is that you and I as Christians, we shouldn't be the type of people that are just trying to get by. Right? And for a lot of us, that is the mentality. A lot of us, we are paycheck to paycheck financially. And a lot of us are also paycheck to paycheck when it's spiritual. Right? You are just trying to get through today. Like how many of you, when Monday morning starts, your whole focus is, is how quickly can we get to Friday afternoon? Right? Like have you ever had that, that conversation in your head where, like, where you really have to think about the fact if someone would offer you, take this pill and you will wake up Friday 5 o'clock. <laughs> would I do that? And we don't want to be those kind of people because each and every day is a gift that God gives us. And each and every day is an opportunity for us to live in His will, to live in His power, and to live in His love. And each day is an opportunity for you and I to do things with Him that will be of eternal value. And if we're missing those things, if we're watching life pass us by, that is not what Jesus has called His children to. And so what I want to make sure for us as a people is, is that you and I haven't set the bar at just surviving but that we have made it a goal to thrive in this life. And the reason this is so important to us is it's a testimony to who our God is. Right? If God Almighty is the God of the universe, if He is boundless in power and in love and in majesty, do we want the story of that to be that when He comes into your life, He can help you just get by? Is that the testimony that screams to the world, this is an amazing, amazing and almighty God? Or do we want to be a people that thrive in an abundance of spiritual power, love, and self-control so that when people go, why are you like that? We can go, well, because of Him. Amen. We want the testimony of our lives to be is that we have a God who is beyond limits. And you can see that in each and every one of our lives. And so what I'm asking you guys to think about is in your lives, where are the areas that you've settled for mediocrity? And why? And how do we start realizing that God the Father is calling us not to mediocrity, but to excellence? And that He wants us to strive in everything we do to reflect how awesome He is. Let's look at the verses that we've called the keys of the series. So each week we start with these verses, and my hope, my prayer is, is that these start to become tools that you put into your spiritual toolbox. Right? I know you guys don't remember everything I say every week. Don't worry about it. I don't even remember everything I say. I say a lot. But my hope is, is, is that these verses you really meditate upon, you really think about, you really study, and you let them go into your heart so that as you go throughout life, when Satan shoots those arrows at you, when you start to have pressure and attack, you find that God can use the Word of God that is stored up inside of you as a weapon and as an instrument to get you through those moments. And so I really want to challenge you in each series we go through, these three verses at the very least, try to hold on to them, try to memorize them, try to make them a tool that you can lean back on. 
The first is found in John 15.4. It says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. The whole point of this is your excellence is of the Lord. Let me say that again. Your excellence is of the Lord. What this means, brothers and sisters, is you and I are supposed to drive towards excellence. We're to pursue excellence. And hopefully, at many areas of our lives, we will exemplify excellence. But what will never be confused to the people watching us is that the excellence in our lives is not because of us. It's because of Him. Being excellent as a Christian is not about you being more talented, working harder, or being a better person than everybody else. It's about that you have a more intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And because of that intimacy, He is able to work through you and shine His light to the world. What you and I should pray for is not that people look at our lives and go, what an amazing person. But that people look at you and our lives and go, what an amazing Lord they have. What amazing things God is able to do with them. I told you throughout the series, I keep pulling back to people like uh, Joshua and Joseph, who the key thing about their success to the people that followed them was everybody knew that success was directly tied to their relationships with God. And so every time they succeeded, it wasn't something they put on their resume. It was something that made the people around them go, we have an almighty and wonderful God. And so you and I, we live in Him. We don't live next to Him. We live in Him. And that's why, brothers and sisters, we've got to think about the intimacy of relationship we have with God. This is unlike the intimacy you experience anywhere else. In any of our other relationships, we are close to those people. But in our relationship with God, we are one with Him. We actually live in Him. And so that's the first point. Our excellence is of the Lord. Second point, our excellence is for the Lord. So we can only be excellent because of Him. And when we strive for it, it's not again for ourselves. It's so we can call people to Him. In Colossians 3.23 it says, Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. And so the challenge to each and every one of us becomes is you don't need to fill your calendar with Christian activities. You don't need to sit there and go every day, every minute, every hour has to be a church activity. Instead, what you do is you are transformed. And so what happens because you're different is wherever you are, whatever you do becomes mission work, becomes evangelism. Because something that points to God the Almighty. Why? Because you're not working for your boss tomorrow. You give your boss respect, and you give your boss honor, and you work hard for them, not because they deserve it, but because God Almighty has said, I have put this person in charge of you. You show them respect like you respect me. And so what changes is, everything becomes the ability to be a testimony. We talked about this in marriage. There are times your spouse is not worthy of your respect or love. And I know this is crazy, but sometimes you're not worthy of their respect or love. But in those moments, because we have Christ in our relationship, we go, I will continue to give respect. I will continue to give love. Why? Because God Almighty has asked me to. And He always deserves what He asks for. And so in this, we realize not only can I only be excellence because of him, but I pursue it because I want to shine a light on how awesome he is. The third thing we've talked about is the one we're going to spend a little time on today. In Philippians 4, it says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and of anything worthy of praise, dwell on these. Amen. And so what this requires us to understand is excellence is only possible through God. It should only be pursued for Him, but it absolutely needs to be pursued with effort. I think some of us, we have this confusion in our lives that because God gives us the capabilities, that He's also going to make those capabilities come to play. It's not true. God gives you the capability to do things in your life, but you, with your will, with your effort, with your power, must choose to take those gifts and put them into play. God has not created a church of spectators. 
He has created a church of active participants who don't come to church. They are the church. You realize that, right? Anywhere you go, the church goes. You could burn this building down and Harmony Baptist Church still exists. Because we still exist. And frankly, we shouldn't even be that connected to Harmony Baptist Church as we are to the church. Realizing it is more than just the success of this building and these people. It's the success of our brothers and sisters across the world in building the kingdom of God. And so you and I, we have to have this kind of desire in our hearts to go, I'm not sitting back on my laurels. I'm going. I am going each and every day striving to get to Him. I told you before, a lot of people's mentality is, if sin's over here, how close to this can I get without actually being sinful? All right, parents, have you ever had that conversation with your teenage child? How far is too far? Right, and like, I, I remember as a youth pastor, I had this conversation all the time. I tell them, you're, you're wrong in the way you're thinking. So yes, we'll talk details, but the reality is your whole thought process is flawed. You're thinking about failure. You're not thinking about success. We want people who aren't going, how close to sin can I get? But we want people going, how close to the holiness and perfection of God can I get? I want to be so in His light that the darkness of sin has barely any room in my life. And so again, we're not settling for the bare minimum. We are pushing for as much as we could possibly have in our lives. Abundance. There's a story I wanted to tell you about um, a conquistador by the name of Hernan Cortez. Anybody remember this from high school, Hernan Cortez? So Cortez was a Spanish conquistador. Their job was to go explore the world and to take over areas in the name of Spain. And so Cortez, his job was to go to Mexico and to take that area and make it part of the Spanish kingdom. Cortez was an interesting guy. He didn't always have all the support he needed. He sometimes was rebellious towards his leaders. And so when he arrives in Spain, he realizes, or Mexico, he realizes a few things. After the first encounter with the Aztecs, he realizes these people are not going to roll over. It's going to be a fight. It's going to be a battle. Second, he knows that his own men know he doesn't have complete support from home because he's done some things that would be considered insubordinate. So he's sitting there evaluating the situation and realizes i got men in a new place. we got disease hurting them. We've got a powerful and mighty enemy who's going to make us a hard fight. They also know I don't have all the support in the world. And he's concerned about his men's dedication to go out and fight. And he knows that if they think there's any way out, they'll lose. Either they'll die fighting because they're not fully committed or they'll end up retreating. See what Cortez does? He sinks his own ships. He goes out to the bay where the ships have brought them from Spain and he sinks his own ships. The point to his men is, we ain't going home. You can't go back. We're here. So either you fight with me and we win, or we die. But the life that you had before you can't go back to it. You cannot go back to it. It was a tactic not just used by him, but by several adventurers and explorers and military leaders throughout history. It's a tactic that we now often refer to as burn the ships. You ever heard that term, burn the ships? Can't go back. Sometimes you'll say it in relation to a relationship, right? We burn that bridge. What's it mean? It means that was the only path to between these two areas, and now it's gone. There is no going back to that old life. Brothers and sisters, the reason I bring this up to you and me is I think sometimes we haven't burned the ships. And I think that's why we don't pursue excellence. I think our old life that was in sin, our old life that was in the ways of the world, is still right there. And as human beings, whenever we venture into new territories, whenever we're asked to do something new, it's, it makes us uncomfortable. I mean, let's be real, right? The majority of people don't like new. Right? There's a few crazies out there that always want to do crazy stuff, looking at you, LB. Right? Like, you, you put them in unknown, and they're like, I, I just want to do it because I don't know what it's like. 
But then there's a majority of us, we will stay in bad just simply because it's known. Right, we've talked about this before. How many of your coworkers do you know hate their jobs? But they never look for a new one. They never apply for a new one. They would never even take a new one. They will just continue to stay for the rest of their careers in a bad job. And every time you talk to them about it, what will they tell you? I hate my job. It's the worst job ever. Why? Because, well, they don't like where they're at, they understand where they're at. They've learned to survive where they're at. They've learned to function where they're at. They know what threats are over here, and they've learned to manage them. Out there in the unknown, I don't know what lies out there. That's scary. At least here, I know where the attacks will come from. I know what will trigger them, and I know how to defend them. I know how to survive them. But out here, who knows? It's the Wild West. Anything could happen. And we see this with people in bad jobs. We see this in people with bad relationships. We see this with people in bad health. They know where they're at's not good, but they're not doing a single thing to change it. And so what I'm asking you to do is spiritually look back at that old world and burn the ships. Burn the ships and realize that's gone. Once Jesus Christ has come into your life, you are a new creation. You do not function, you do not live, you do not think, you do not behave like you used to. You may have the capability at times to act in the old manner, but you can't live there anymore. Not peacefully, not contently. Because let's be honest, right? There are some people living in the sinful world culture around us and they're content. It's all they've ever known. They have learned how to work in this system. They have learned how to be fulfilled in it. They're content. But if you become a believer, Christ tells us you're changed. He literally tells us. This is why we talk about baptisms, why we get baptized. You are dead in your old life and you have been raised a brand new creation. You may have tendencies and habits that pull you to the old, but your heart wants new things. It hungers for something new. And if you keep trying to feed it this junk, it will never be happy. It has seen that there is something better and it wants it. I can tell you about this firsthand. Baby girl at home, oh my goodness. So it used to be this beautiful, blissful thing that she only ate from mom. She didn't know what food was. So we could eat and not be bugged. But now she has two little teeth and she's tasted food and now she knows there are tastier things in this world than mother's milk. And now if you walk out of that kitchen, she's a crawling over to where you're at going, I'm here. Right? She has tasted the new world and she enjoys it. And she doesn't want to go back. What do you have, Dad? I want part of that. Well, God's kind of hoping that's what you and I are like. That once we've tasted His love, His power, His excellence, His awesomeness, we can't be content anymore with the old ways. And so some of you, I know you're Christians, I know you have been changed, but you keep thinking and looking back and going, maybe, maybe I can still be over there. Pour the gasoline on those ships and light them a fire. You cannot go back. Christ has his own way to talk about this. Uh, if you flip with me in your Bible, let's go to Luke chapter 9. In Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 27, Jesus basically gives this speech. He basically talks about this concept. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, he says this. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me in my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes into his glory, and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I say to you truthfully, 
There are some of those standing here today who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. So let's break that down a little bit. First and foremost, he says, if you and I truly want to live, we must first die. Which sounds so weird. Right? And like, guys, as Christians, it's perfectly okay to read something and go, I don't get that. That seems counterintuitive. In fact, if you guys want to grow, how we grow is by talking about those kind of things. Right? Remember Nicodemus coming to Jesus late at night and going, Jesus, I've heard you talking. You keep talking about being born again. How does that happen? How does a grown man get back into his mother's womb? I know what you're saying. I get the point you're trying to make, but I don't understand how that can happen. And so he brought it to Jesus, and he talks to Jesus about it, and that's what you and I should do. We should bring these things that are difficult at first blink and go, God, help me. Walk me through this. That's why I'm going to also throw out a plug here. You should be coming to small group. Like I know summer, everybody gets lazy over summer. Summer's over. Summer's over. Get back on track. I don't care if it's Sunday morning small group. I don't care if it's Wednesday night group. I don't care if you want to start a brand new group. But if you are not regularly in God's Word discussing, questioning, and helping answer other people's questioning, I can tell you you're not growing as fast as you could. Yes, you can grow a ton by yourself. Yes, you can grow a ton under the tutelage of Jesus Christ. But there is a beauty to when a group comes together and we dig into it and we see other people's perspectives. We see other people's questions. We see other people's struggles to make things apply to their life. It helps us grow. So people dig in. Dig in. What he's saying is, your life isn't yours anymore. Before you and I become Christians, we are our own gods. Not in capability. Right? We're not perfect. We're not all-knowing. We're not all-powerful. We're not perfect. We're flawed. But we are gods in the sense of de deciding the direction of our lives. This is what I want. This is what I want to achieve. Here's my goals. Here's my plans. Here's what I want to do. And I'm going to do it. At least I'm going to try. Now, often what we find is we're incapable of making it happen, right? I mean, do you, anybody else to the point where you know once you've planned it, it's not going to ever happen that way? I always get sad sometimes when I have a really good plan. Because I'm like, oh, it's never going to happen like that, is it? It's never going to be an execution exactly the way I just thought it was going to be. In those moments where we are dictating where we go, we are God in our own life. Just without His capability. And what Jesus is saying is if you really want to find life, you have to die to that. You have to wake up to the realization you are not God. You have tried to make your own path. You have tried to set your own destiny. You have tried to control it yourself and you have failed. And you have failed and you have failed and you have failed and you have failed. And you will continue to fail. If you don't want to taste that anymore, that has to die. It can't be set aside. It can't be controlled. It can't be contained. It has to die. And you have to be raised up a new creation that goes, I am not God. I am a servant. Amen. This isn't about my will. This isn't about my desires. It's about what does He want to do with me. And I'll be honest, this, this, this concept scares me. It scares me because I think in, in America, and, I, and maybe even in this church, there are a lot of churched Christians who have not made this change in their lives. They are still their own gods. They come to church and they go, these are the things I want in life. I hope by behaving, I hope by listening to God's wisdom, I hope by taking on this logic into my life that God will use His powers to make my dreams come true. And that's why I always ask you guys, look at your prayer life. How much of your prayer life is you going, God, I want these things. Good night. And how much of your prayer life is you going, God, what do you want from me? 
Talk to me, God. I'm going to shut my mouth. I just want you to talk to me. What do you want? What do you want me to do in this relationship? What do you want me to do with this church? What do you want me to do with these people? What do you want me to do in this situation? Because if he's the master, he should be given the direction. And so what Christ is saying is, you must die to that old life. And I love it. He uses the cross here, which had to be unbelievably confusing to his people. Because he hasn't died on it yet. To them, the cross is only a symbol of shame. It is a painful, ugly death for the worst in society. It's the worst way to go. And I think the reason he uses that is he wants them to get, there's no, guys, this isn't going to be some nice peaceful death. Right? This isn't going to be one of those ones where we just drift off to sleep. You're going to have to murder your old way of thinking. It is going to be brutal. It is going to be hard. But you're going to do it. And the only way that happens is by you wanting it. Desiring it. Hungering for it. We've got to have that kind of passion in our guts. I think I've told you this story before, but it's amazing to me the things people have passion for. Ronnie Lott was a professional football player for the San Francisco 49ers. In the playoffs, he broke his finger so badly that they were not going to let him continue to play. His only option, if he wanted to continue to play, was to amputate the finger. He amputated the finger. Do you understand that? For a game of football, for 22 grown men to run around on a grass field with a piece of leather, he was willing to say, chop my finger off for the rest of my life so I can go play right now. Instead of going like, hey, just miss a couple games, dude. See you next year. No. Cut the finger off. I'm playing. I'm doubting seriously how many people would be at church this morning if it was cut your finger off to go to church. <laughs> right, I mean, like, let's be real. Most mornings we're like, yeah, it's a little rainy out, man. I don't know. It's a late night. Kids are tired. We got school in the morning. I think, I think I'm a little warm. I don't want to get anybody sick. I'm really doubting how many people would be here if this morning it was like, hey man, if the only way you get into church is we cut the finger off. Do it. Do it. I gotta be there. I would be here. But he would do that for football. Christ's point is, guys, you gotta want this. And, and, and guess what? It's not a one-time thing. Like it's a one thing time thing to be saved, but daily you gotta you gotta nail to the cross that old you, that you that wants to be in charge, that you that wants to lead, the you that wants to say this is my dream, this is my plan, this is what we're gonna make happen. And he's saying here you gotta let it go. And he tells them guys, it's logical. What's the point of gaining everything in this world that you could ever have when you can't take any of it with you? I know, by the way, just open your eyes. For the people that have everything the world can offer, how well is it working out for them? Like, let's be real. We have more celebrity access today than we've ever had before. Like, we know too much about people now. But you know the one thing I appreciate about it? It shows you how empty the promises of the world are. These people who are beautiful, who are talented, who are popular, who are famous, who have millions of dollars to do things you and I could never dream of doing. And yet when we see the real life, what do we see? Exactly the same messes we have. And what it tells you is all these things you've been taught to pursue, they lead you nowhere. They just lead you to a fancier emptiness. That's it. That's it. And so Christ is saying, why would you want to gain all of this just to end up empty? Pick up your cross and follow me. And yes, that cross, it'll be shameful to people. People who aren't part of this will look at you and go, I don't get what you're doing. That's stupid. That's dumb. That makes no sense. You're an idiot. But don't be ashamed. Know that one day, He will call your name. 
One day when no one else will acknowledge you, he will show up and go, that's my child. That's my kid right there, and they're with me. That's what focuses us. That's what motivates us. Look with me with uh, Philippians 4.13. Let's look at the larger context of that passage. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Now that I speak from want, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I'm in. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things to Christ who strengthens me. It's funny, you and me, we we love that verse, right? We see on coffee cups, t-shirts, bumper stickers, right? We all talk about it. But we all miss the context of it. The context of I can do all all things is not necessarily that you can go conquer the world. It is that the deep, ugly darkness of the world can come at you and throw everything it's got at it, and you can stand toe-to-toe with it and say, bring it. You can be the light in the midst of what should be overcoming darkness and not be overcome. Why? Because He gives you the strength you need to stand. And so what Paul's point to us is, is you have to be disciplined in this. I'll be honest, every week I say power, love, and self-discipline. You know the one I'm most worried about? Self-discipline. Because that comes down to desire, that comes down to your work ethic, that comes down to you wanting it. And I'll be real with you, I think many of us are foolish when it comes to this. I'm going to hamper on it again. You should be checking the music you listen to, you should be checking the shows you watch. Brothers and sisters, he says the things you dwell on, the things you think about. I'm sorry, but if you're anything like me, if I'm going to watch two people get naked on TV and have sex on screen, I'm thinking about sex. And not in the holy, righteous, almighty way. I'm thinking about it in the lustful, wrong way. When you're letting those things come into your mind, when you're inviting them, into your mind. You are not dwelling on what is excellent. So many of us voluntarily sit down and invite the glorification of sin into our lives. And then they're shocked when it starts to take fruit. Too many of us have invited sin in with open arms and said, please, come on in. What are you dwelling on? What are you putting your mind on? And man, be careful with your kids. Man, I am so shocked at the things nowadays you got to watch and guard. But I've done this. I've been listening to pop music before and just singing the song and then I'll like pause and I'll think about the words they're actually saying and I'm like, wait a minute, what are they talking about in this song? Oh my gosh, we got Jake singing this song. Why is my three-year-old running around singing this? Come on. How can I justify that? Why would I say that's good? Why would I say that's right? Why would I put that in his head? No, he doesn't fully understand it, but I'm still inviting it in. When you guys have the ability to control what comes into your mind, man, you should make it good. And the reason I say when you can control is there's a lot of times you can't. Right? When we go to work, When we're out in the world, there's messages bombarded around us. And sometimes in those moments, we've got to defend. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the times you personally invite the darkness in. Why? Why? And parents, I'm really going to hamper on this because we, we are the ones that set the limits. 
I remember when I started teaching the kids on Wednesday night, the 12 disciples, some people were like, the kids aren't going to learn the 12 disciples. Your kid can name all the NFL football teams and what division they're in. But he can't learn 12 disciples? Why? It's funny, they can memorize millions of things. But for some reason, when it comes to this stuff, we're like, oh, that's, that's too hard. That's, that's beyond their age limits. No, it's not. It's beyond our desire to sit down and explain that stuff to them. It's beyond our desire to point them in the right direction and have them meditate on the right things. But let me just continue to step on toes since I'm doing it this morning. How many of you in your actions are showing your children what really is important in their lives? I know some of you who have guaranteed your children will be good at sports. And you sign them up whether they want to play or not. You make them practice two to three times a week. You'll sacrifice time, money, and energy, and family convenience to make sure your children are at a sports place so they can learn to throw a ball. But when it comes time to learn the Word of God, all of a sudden those excuses are good enough to stop us. Why? I mean, let's be real. If, if we just sat back and watched, forget your words... If I'm in a family where on Sunday mornings we can't seem to get up at time to come to church every Sunday, but all throughout the rest of the week we're up at 5 a.m. so I can go to football practice. What do I really think in my family is more important? Football or church? I can tell you what the kids say. The reason most of our children don't stay at church after they turn 18 years old is they go, it was a bunch of hypocrites. They all said one thing, but they didn't actually do it in their lives. Everything else seemed to be more important to them. What are we exemplifying to those who are watching us? How are we behaving? How are we growing? How are we changing? And look, I'm not saying don't have fun. Guys, I watch sports. I play sports. My kids play sports. I coach my kids in sports. But what I've also made a goal of is that we will never be confused in our family what was more important. That's a struggle. I don't know how long I'll actually be able to keep it up. I don't know that my kids will be able to play high school sports. I don't know. I hope so. I love sports growing up. They taught me a lot of life lessons. But I also see what coaches are asking these days and I go, I don't know if I can give that to you. And hey, I know church isn't the only place that you can learn about God. But I can also tell you it's a place God asks you to be. Amen. It's something He asks you to be part of. And it's hard to be part of it if you're not here. Are we going at this with everything we've got? Or are we giving Him the leftovers? I'll be there when it's convenient. I'll be there when it's easy. I'll be there when I have excess. I'll be there when I have extra. How many of us start though and go, he will get first? I don't know what else will happen today, but I can guarantee you this. God gets his from me. That will happen. I want to leave you with one last visual of this. In Luke chapter 10, there's a story we've, we've covered many times together. But it's a story that I think is important because it actually gets to the meat of why this is hard. For a lot of you, I hope you're at the point in your maturity where the struggles nowadays are not, should I do evil or do good? For some of us, when we first start in our relationship with God, that is the question. Right? We have been so built into a world of sin and evilness and darkness that, that we have these old habits that are hard to let go of. Hopefully, though, over time, right, we just don't do the evil things anymore. But that doesn't mean your journey's done. Just because you're not running in sin every single day doesn't mean you've stopped. You now now have a, a more, difficult, uh, more difficult job and that you have to discern between good and best. You have to discern between those things in life that are not sinful, that have value, could be good, but aren't the things God is asking you to do. Anybody remember back in the Old Testament whose idea it was to build the temple? In the Old Testament, the idea of building the temple was David's. And he was passionate about it. 
He went to God and he was like, I have this idea that, that you, because you are our God, because you are our king, that you should have a place of majesty and splendor physically in our land that tells everybody you belong to us and we belong to you. And he had this passion and this dream and, and this vision for it. And you know what God told him? I love it. But you're not going to build it. Your son is. You think that was easy for David to hear? That was his dream. It was his vision. That was his plan. But God came to him and said, it's beautiful, it's wonderful, it's amazing. In fact, it's part of my will. But just not for you to do. It's for someone else. And the beauty of David at that moment in his life where he was showing maturity is he said, I understand, Lord. And you know what David then spent the rest of his life doing? Getting things prepared so that when it came time for Solomon to build it, he would have everything he needed. And so as Christians, you and I, it's going to get more difficult as we mature is, is it's not any longer about, hey, should I sin or not? That should be an easy no-brainer. Hopefully we are past that point. What now becomes difficult is us discerning, hey, I've got six or seven good options. What's the one that God wants me to go after? What's the one that He wants me to embrace and me to take to heart and me to be part of? And so look at Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42. It says, Now as they were traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. But only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. God's point to Martha is not that Martha is sinning. Right? In Jewish culture, and even in God's Word, being a good host is important. It shows love, it shows care, it shows respect. And Martha is consumed with this concept that God Almighty, the Lord and Savior, this amazing rabbi, is in their house, and she is trying to do everything to show him she cares and that she's taking care of him and that she respects his presence. But she's frustrated because her sister is not helping with any of it. Instead, Mary's just sitting at Jesus' feet, hanging out, listening to him talk. Why isn't she helping? Why doesn't she get up? Why is all the work on me? And she actually goes to Jesus to say, Jesus, tell her to get up and help me. Tell her she's wrong. And Jesus looks at Martha and goes, Martha, she's not wrong, you are. What you're doing is not wrong, but she realizes that there are two things that she could do to show me she loves me. One is she could get around the house, clean, prepare food and a meal. Or she could sit at my feet and talk with me. Which one's more important? Which one matters most? Martha's actions were not sinful. In fact, they were probably built in unbelievable intention to do good. But she was missing the very best that was sitting right there before her. I hope that's not us. I hope that we are in a place with God Almighty that we are maturing and growing. So when we're past intentionally sinning, but we're now to a place where we can discern between good and best. And that we are spending our time and our energy and our effort to be with Him. I think some of us, we're in Martha's shoes. We're just trying to do the ticky-tack things that need to happen to get by. But are we really thinking about how we're growing? How we're maturing? Let's look at this last verse with me. And I want you to really think about it. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. Paul's talking to these people and what he's saying is, guys, by now, we should be past this. And guys, by now, you should be digging into big and meaty and deep things. 
But instead I find we're, we're going back to where we were day one. Why? Why? And my fear, folks, is that I think there are some of us, we aren't much different than we were the day we fell on our knees and accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. I think some of us, we've believed the false narrative of modern Christianity that teaches you that once you're saved, you're done. Instead of realizing being saved is just the start. It's the beginning of a brand new life, not the end of a brand new life. And so each and every one of us, we need to look in the mirror regularly and go, am I farther along today than I was yesterday? Than a week ago? Than two weeks ago? Than three weeks ago? Than four weeks ago? I'll give you one last story before we do Lord's Supper. I I manage a team at work, and um, I constantly find the struggle of my team is that they do the right process, but they make no progress. So a lot of times we will have like this big, huge, what seems to be unanswerable question that we have to dig into and figure out how do we solve it. And when I talk to my people week after week, especially brand new people, what they tend to tell me is, well, I did this, 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 and I did this, and that's exactly all the things I should have done. You gave me seven steps, I did the seven steps, the seven steps are complete. And often I'll go, what did you learn? What, what do you mean? I did the seven steps. And I'm like, I know you did the seven steps, but what did you learn? What questions did we have on Monday that we had no clue about, no answer to, no way to answer, that now five days later we go, these three, answered. Progress has been made. And I'll get people sometimes that look at me like, I don't get it. What do you mean? I did the things you asked me to do. No, you think I care about you doing the seven steps? I care about us making progress. I care about us answering the questions. I care about us changing. I care about us growing. And I think sometimes that's you and I. If we were to ask, have you changed or grow, you'd go, well, I've been to church. I didn't ask if you've been to church. I asked if you've grown. Why serve? I didn't ask if you were serving. I asked, have you grown? Each and every one of us needs to look at ourselves and realize that if we are in the presence of God every single day, we will grow. So if the answer to the question, have I grown, is no, then that means we're Martha. We've been doing all the activities, but we've missed that Jesus is sitting right in the middle of the room waiting to talk to us. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. And so to wrap up, guys, it's simple. We've got to look back at our old lives and we've got to burn the ships. I can't go back, and I don't want to go back. The old way of life is gone. Those things will not fill me up anymore. And I've never taken a seat on that ship again. And second, I'm going to run at God with everything I've got. And that may not be very fast. I may trip and fall. I make a fool of myself sometimes. But you will never doubt that I'm coming at Him with everything i got. And I will see that I am changing day to day. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord, for being a God that loves fools like us. God, the beauty of running with You is You have promised us no matter how many times we fall, You'll be there to pick us up. You promised us, Lord, that if we will lay ourselves in Your hands, that You will use us to do many mighty things. Father, I pray that this church is an instrument in Your hands. I pray, Father, that each and every day we are taking baby steps closer to You. And I pray, Father, that You will speak to those individuals that have not changed from the day You first met them. And that You will convict their heart and that You will show them a path forward, Lord, to be different. Father, make us a people not just trying to survive, but a people that thrive. 
Lord, we love you. And we are so honored to be your children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, Sister Maria sings, if there's anything on your heart that you need to pray about or want someone to pray with you, feel free to come forward. Me and Brother Joe will be up here at the front. Uh, after we're done with this song, we will be taking the Lord's Supper. Let's all stand.
chapter 11 verse 23 it says for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me in the same way he took the cup also after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. As we take the Lord's Supper, it's important for us to, to make sure spiritually we are in the right place with the Lord. And so there's a few instructions that Paul continues to give us in God's Word. He says, first, Lord's Supper is for those that are believers. For those that have given their lives over to Jesus Christ, understand that He died on the cross for them, that He rose three days later, and in that He offered forgiveness of their sins, and they have chosen to follow Him for the rest of their life. And so we do ask that if you are not a believer, that you would abstain from taking this, as this is a proclamation of our belief in those things. Second, Paul instructs us that if there is anything in our heart, sin that we have not laid at the feet of Christ, that we should first and foremost do that. Second, or third, uh, he has instructed us if there is a believer who has asked for our forgiveness and we have not given it to them, we are still holding that grudge, that before we take Lord's Supper, we should first and foremost do those things. And so I ask that as we do the Lord's Supper, as this uh, cup and this bread comes before you, that you will evaluate those things in your heart. And if you feel you're right, take and proclaim the wonderful sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And if you feel that those things aren't ready or right, then go ahead and abstain from it and then seek to correct those things in your life. But Pablo, would you mind coming forward, sir, and helping us with the table? Let me go ahead and pray over the bread. Heavenly Father, as we take this bread, Lord, we are reminded that it is representative of your body. Your body that was sacrificed and broken for us. Lord, upon that cross, you paid the price, not that you owed, Lord, but that we did. You were willing to take all the debt of our sins, both of the present and the past and those to come. And you were willing to sacrifice for those. Father, we thank you for that sacrifice. And we live to honor it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. family, 
Agora sim. Let me pray over the cup. Heavenly Father, as we take this cup, may we remember that it represents your blood, Lord. The blood that not only washed us clean of our sins, but also covered us in your righteousness. Father, may we never forget that not only are we seen innocent before our Almighty God, but we are also seen like Jesus to be your children. Father, what a gift that we get to call you Father each and every day of our lives. What a gift. Father, may we never take it for granted. And may we cherish the fact that not only are we no longer sinful, but we are now righteous in your eyes. Father, we love you. And in your son's name we pray. Amen. As a family, let us drink. It says in the Gospels that after they had eaten together, that they sang a hymn. And so Sister Maria is going to come up and lead us in the chorus of the family of God. Let's all stand and join hands together. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Join us with Jesus as we travel this sod. For I'm part of the family, the family of God. It's always a blessing to worship with you guys. I hope you have a great week. Remember, you've been given a spirit of what? Power, love, and self-discipline. And you got a mission. Go out those doors and go make disciples that love God and love people. Hope you have a great week. I'll see you guys next Sunday. I'm captivated. Say it, I'm on a whole new tree. My space invaded, upgraded, I hear you talking to me. It's in the boom of the thunder, it's in the cool of the rain. And I'll say, I don't ever want to get away. Tonight is beautiful, it's got my mind on you. And everywhere I turn is a reminder.
I see you in it. 